This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The devil has one goal and one purpose, and it is First Peter 5, 8, First Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking who he may devour. See, that's it, devour. Catapino, devour, means to drink down, to swallow, to destroy. It's a picture of the grave. The grave says, ah, it's never, ah, never enough, never enough, never enough. The grave is a big giant mouth. The Bible says in Proverbs 1.12, Proverbs 1.12, let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. I'm always amazed to watch pelicans. Pelicans are one of my favorite animals, but I love to watch the pelican when it just comes in there and it'll grab a sardine or a mackerel hole and boom, down it goes and it's wiggling in its stomach and you can see that from the outside. That's amazing. <laughs> he doesn't chew it or kill it or anything, you know. He just swallows it, that big, huge... Yep. And as a matter of fact, there was a battle raging between Christ and the devil and death on the cross. And just when death was about to do that pelican move on Christ, swallow him up, just about that, that was the time when Christ turned and swallowed up death on the cross, and that's Isaiah 25, 8, Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. The Lord has spoken it. And it's interesting, the devil has this goal. He wants to kill, he wants to devour swallow up. So, you know, when anybody ever tells me that um, I hear voices, I hear voices, I always say, don't tell me. I know what the voices are saying to you. I know what they are. They're saying, kill yourself. And oftentimes people say to me, how'd you know that? Oh, it would be so thrilling 
Wow, wouldn't that be so? You never know that before. Kill yourself because that's the goal of the devil. John 10, 10, John 10, 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come, Christ said. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundant. You ever stood on a balcony of a high building or a roof? You ever had that sort of urge like, jump? <laughs> oh, you're not alone. Just jump. Oh, the thrill of it. Bannister's not that tall. My cousin, Stephen Cantor, did that. The father told the Lord Jesus that his son was sore vexed. And there's actually more details about this account in the book of Mark, in Mark 9, 17. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath the dumb spirit, and whatsoever he teareth him, he teareth him, and foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, pineth away. And I spake to the disciples, and they should cast him out, and they could not. He answereth and said, O faithless in generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked, Father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it's cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit and cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. So the father tells the Lord how he feels so helpless. He just sits there and watches his son go into an epileptic fit. And if you've ever been around a person who has gone into a grand mal epileptic fit, epileptic attack, you know how helpless you feel. You can't, maybe you get a towel, stick it in his mouth so he doesn't bite his tongue off. That's about it. You can do nothing to get that person out. You just have to wait it out. And the father describes his son foaming at the mouth and grinding his teeth down, throwing himself into a fire and getting burned in it water. And they try to rescue him from drowning. And they say he's shriveling up. All of this is causing all of him to shrivel up, pining away to nothing. And the father feels absolutely helpless. He's so desperate. And he further explains to the Lord, in Luke 9.38, Luke 9.38, behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child, and lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him, that he foameth again, and bruising him, hardly departeth from him, barely leaves him. This is the father's only child. You know, now they, so the father, kind of like Abraham with his only son, with I, Sarah, Isaac, and when God described Abraham's son to him, when God described Abraham's love for his only son, Isaac, he used words in Genesis 22.1. Genesis 22.1, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, he said, behold, I, here I am. He said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, comma, whom thou lovest, 
and get to the end of the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering. So when God told Abraham, he called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, God told Abraham that, in essence, God said to Abraham, Abraham, I understand how Isaac is your only son. Abraham, I understand how all of your love is focused on this one, on, on this one, on Isaac. I know that. He says, take now thy son, Genesis 22, 2. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. Well, this is his father with this son. This is his only son. It's his only child. And he loves him, and he feels all the pain when his son goes through these epileptic fits and destroys himself. And the father, he doesn't say, help my son. The father didn't use the word him when he asked for help. The father used the word us. And that's so important. He says in Mark 9, 22, Mark 9, 22, have compassion on us and help us. He says, he doesn't say have compassion on him. Of course, he wanted him to have compassion on him. He's just, but him is just the son. He's just part of the whole gang there. It's the father, the mother, and whoever else. He says, have compassion on us and help us. And when the Lord told the father that he needed to believe that the Lord had compassion and that he's going to heal his son, and he needed to have faith. He needed to believe that Christ had the compassion. He needed to believe that Christ had the will to heal his son. He needed to believe that Christ had the power. He had to believe these three things. You have the compassion, you have the will, you have the power. This is in essence what he said, you know, if you can believe. And the father didn't argue with him, say, no, 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 I do, I do, I do. He didn't do that. The father accepted the fact that he was a spiritual cripple. He accepted the fact that he was in a state of unbelief. He didn't have the sufficient belief in the power and the compassion and the person of Christ. He didn't have that. And he cries out to Jesus to help him because the father accepted from the Lord that he needed help as much as the son needed help. When he replied in Mark 9.24, Mark 9.24, straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. That's one of the greatest prayers of honest. It's just being just totally bare naked honest in the Bible of a man who accepted from the Lord this rebuke for not believing in the compassion, the will, and the power of Jesus to rescue this desperate son. And then the, the father then tells Christ, of this great disappointment that he had. He said, I am so disappointed because I expected that when I brought my son to your disciples, in verse 16, verse 16, I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. You can just feel this father. He says, I'm just at the end. What more can I do? I mean, what happened here? So what happened was that while Peter and John and James, they were on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord, Elijah, and Moses, so the father then brings his son to the remaining nine disciples down below, and they couldn't cure him. Now, this is really quite a scene, because the Lord, at this particular time now, the Lord was on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and the father had brought his only son to the nine disciples below, and the nine disciples they had been given power, and that was no secret. They had been given power over unclean spirits like this one that the Lord told them in Matthew 10.1, Matthew 10.1, when he had called unto them, unto him, when he called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. So what happened? 
And then in Matthew 10, 7, Matthew 10, 7, he told them, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely have received, freely give. What happened? The father is saying, what happened? And the disciples had been successful in their mission and they were casting out devils and they came back and told him about it. In Luke 10, 17, Luke 10, 17, the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. But now the father says that the nine disciples failed, bold-faced failed, could not. In verse 16, verse 16, I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. And you can just see him saying, it's your disciples that I brought them to. And to make matters worse, the scribes were hanging around with all of this and they got involved in Mark 9, 14, Mark 9, 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people when they beheld him were greatly amazed and wanting to him and saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which had the dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and foameth and gnashes with his teeth, piteth away. And I spake to the disciples, they, they should cast him out, and they could not. So the father brings to the nine disciples here his troubled son for them to cast out this devil, and the nine disciples fail, period. He cast him out. And then move in the scribes who've been hanging around the fringes, and they begin to question the disciples about, well, well, how come you couldn't cast out this one, huh, buddy boy? Why couldn't you cast him out? And you can just imagine the questions that are coming from these scribes. Well, boys, if your master, your master said that all power was given unto him and you got a special power to cast out devils. Well, here you are with the devil. You can't cast him out. You can't do it. You failed. What does that tell us? What does that tell you? Does your master really have all that power given to him? I mean, you could not cast out this devil. Does your master really have the ability to give you that power that he says he has? You just failed to cast out this devil. You're sure you're following the right rabbi? Maybe not. Don't you want to reconsider your decision that you've made to follow Jesus? Isn't it really time for you boys to give up this Jesus stuff and come back to the synagogue where you belong? That's how the scribes were questioning the disciples and the Lord saw these scribes in their critical mode. And so he comes in Mark 9, 16, Mark 9, 16, and he asks the scribes, what question ye with them? And the scribes don't answer. They don't answer. They don't have to answer because they've done their work of injecting the venomous thoughts of doubt into the minds of the nine disciples, just like the serpent did when he injected his venomous doubts into the mind of Eve, and then he slithers away. In Genesis 3.4, Genesis 3.4, the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the serpent and the scribes did not have to answer, as they knew, the serpent and the scribes knew that the, the power of the venom of doubt that they had injected into their prey that it would do its work of destroying faith after they left the scene. So when the Lord came to the disciples and asked them, you know, sorry, when the Lord came to the scribes and asked them what they were questioning his disciples about, they don't say a word. But the father of the boy speaks up 
In Mark 9, 16, Mark 9, 16, he asked the scribes what question he with them, and one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which have the dumb spirit. So this sets the scene here of this faithless questioning scribes. See, they were the faithless questioning scribes. Here was the half-believing desperate father, and here is the demon-possessed son, and here is really the discouraged nine disciples. That's what you got here. You got a scene, that, that's your scene. So to the faithless questioning scribes, the Lord says in verse 17, verse 17, Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? To the half-believing desperate father, the Lord says in Mark 9, 23, Mark 9, 23, Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. To this demon-possessed Son, the Lord says in Mark 9, 25, or really the demon to the demon who was possessing the son. He says in Mark 9, 25, when Jesus saw the people come running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more. And then finally to the discouraged nine disciples, he turns to them and says in Mark 9, 29, Mark 9, 29, he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. You see what he did here? There's four different parties here, and he's turning to one, to the other, to the other, and he's giving him the word that was right for them. Now the Lord asks these questions in verse 17. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. So he looks at the scribes, like we said, and he calls them a faithless and perverse generation. True faith, true faith centers on Jesus Christ. That's what faith is. Faith is just like the hymn puts it, really can't put it any better than this. My faith has found a resting place. It's not in device, it's not in creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds shall plead for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him, he'll never cast me out. See, that's phrase, my faith has found a resting place. It paints a picture of the dove that was searching for a nest to rest in when Noah let it loose out of the ark in Genesis 8, 8, Genesis 8, 8. And Noah sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her into the, in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet other seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days, and sent the dove, which returned not again unto him anymore. See, that dove is a picture of our souls. We're like that dove. At first, we go into the world, and we look for a nest to rest our souls in, and our experience is frustration, and we return, we didn't find any rest for our souls in the world, just like the dove, our experience is like the hymn, another hymn, I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame, and nothing satisfying there I found, so the dove returned. And then we saw Christ, then we saw him for the first time, and we were interested, but we didn't actually put our faith and trust in him at first, just like the dove who returned back the second time, and she was interested. She had this little little olive branch in her mouth there and carried it back to Noah. And then it happened 
Like the hymn says, the hymn goes on to say, I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame, and nothing satisfying there I found. But to the blessed cross I came, one day I came, where springs of living water did abound, drinking at the springs of living water. Happy now am I. My soul they satisfied, drinking at the springs of living water. Wonderful, bountiful supply. See, that was the happy day. That was the happy day when Jesus washed all our sins away and we put our complete faith and trust in him. That's when our faith found a resting place, just like the dove who didn't return anymore to Noah because she found a resting place. She found a nest. That's Christ is the nest for our souls. So he says faithless generation. So then he says perverse generation. Perverse just means going the wrong way. It's like reverse, you know, perverse, going the wrong way going the wrong way. So when Jesus looks at the scribes, he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation, he's calling them faithless because they had no reliance on Christ. He was not the nest for their souls because they didn't believe that he was God and they didn't believe that he was wanting to help. He had compassion and they didn't believe that he could help. So he calls them faithless. He calls them perverse because he's saying, you're going the wrong way. You're just going the wrong way. Romans 10.3, Romans 10.3 describes the way they were going in. Romans 10.3 says, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. It's a very, very good description of perverse going the wrong way when it says going about to establish their own relationship. And it means they really are going about keeping all the Sabbath laws that are written in the Bible, and then some, and going about with the kosher laws and going about with many other laws and rules and regulations, all designed to establish their own relationship, going about to establish their own righteousness, I mean to say. Going about to establish their own righteousness. That's the wrong way. That's the perverse way. Because a sinner needs salvation through faith, not an establishment of a self-righteousness through works. And then in total frustration, describes the Lord asks the question in verse 17, how long am I going to be with you? How long shall I suffer you? And by asking those questions, how long shall I be with you? The Lord is asking how long that he should be with them because the scribes were showing no evidence at all It's starting to respond to Christ. It's starting to come to Christ. And so he's asking, how long am I going to suffer you? How long he should tolerate their opposition, their venomous uh, questions of doubt to everything he's doing, left and right. So in verse 17, the Lord asks these two questions. He says, how long, how long? And as a matter of fact, there's really a third question that hasn't been spoken, but well, it hasn't spoken. He actually... Like I said, it's in Mark 9. Mark 9, 19, he asked this third question, how long question of the Father, Mark 9, 19. He answered him, Mark 9, 19, and saith, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? They brought unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. He fell on the ground, wallowing, foaming, and he asked his father, how long has it been, how long ago is it ago since this time, how long is it ago since this came unto him? In other words, how long has this been going on? And he said, of a child. So the third question, the third how long question was, how long has the boy been in this state? How long has this been going on? His father, I don't say as a boy, how long is his son? And the father responds, a very long time since he was a child. Let's just call it for all his life. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.